Well, how many of you know, um, usually this time of the year, things get a little busy. Would y'all give me an amen? And usually, um, anybody hosting Christmas at your house? Let me see, where are you? You know what that's like, right? <laughs> Food, desserts, you still have wrapping to do, a lot of things taking place. Um, and you have people that are coming to your home, and, and you've got to get ready, and you know what that's like, right? And so um, a, a lot of activity, a lot of things happening, a lot of people moving. And so you, you want to get it just right if you're hosting. Let me see, where are the hosts? You want to get it just right, right? And a lot of people will say, I want to go the extra mile. And that's a good thing. And tonight I want to share with you someone that went the extra mile, and it's a true story. A mother named Karen was expecting another child, so she had begun preparing her three-year-old son, Michael, for the birth of his baby sister. Every night, Michael sang to his sister in his mother's tummy. During the delivery of the baby, serious complications developed. After many hours of struggle, Michael's little sister was born, but she was in very serious condition. She was rushed to a neonatal intensive care unit at another hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee. Instead of getting better, the little girl continued to decline. The pediatric specialist told Karen and her husband, there is very little hope. Be prepared for the worst. Meanwhile, Michael continued to beg his parents to let him see his new sister. He said, I want to sing to her. But kids were not allowed in the intensive care. This tiny infant girl was now in her second week in ICU. It looked like she was not going to make it through the week. So Karen made up her mind that she would take Michael to see his sister, whether the hospital liked it or not. If Michael didn't see her right away, he might not ever get to see her. So Karen dressed him in oversized scrub suit and marched him right into the ICU. The head nurse demanded that they leave. The mother's instinct rose up strong, and she looked at that head nurse with steel-eyed determination. He's not leaving until he sees his sister. Karen took Michael to his sister's bedside. After a few moments of looking at her with machines keeping her alive, three-year-old Michael began to sing. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, my little sister, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Instantly, the baby responded. Her pulse rate moved closer to normal and then stabilized. Sing it again, Michael, the mom said. He kept singing. And her breathing became as smooth as a kitten's purr. 
The head nurse now stood with tears in her eyes. Michael sang that chorus over and over and over. And the next day, the very next day, Michael's little sister was well enough to go home. Women's Day magazine called it the miracle of the brother's song. Karen called it a miracle of God's love. A brother's love that went the extra mile. What a story, true story. Songwriters and poets have written of this kind of love since time began. Yet how much do we really know about that kind of love going the extra mile? You know, every day we come in contact with people that are void of that kind of love in their life. It's never been there due to circumstances. And what happens, as you know, people will wear a mask and not even let you know that they're struggling, that there's no love in their life. A lot of times it's our neighbor across the street, it's a co-worker, it's a family member, it could be a spouse, it could be just simply a friend. But how many of you know love can melt the hardest hearts? It can quiet the most anxious heart. It's a universal language that everyone understands. Would you all agree? For as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, and I'm just going to give you the first three words of this verse, it says this, love never fails. There's more to the verse, but I just wanted to focus on that love never fails. So what did he mean here when Paul said love never fails in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? He said it never fades out, it never goes away. It doesn't become obsolete. There's no end to it. One of the most powerful and most impactful ways to go the extra mile is just simply to walk in love. It's an investment that you will reap and your family will reap for generations after generations. Now, some will say, I can't love. I'm not good at it. I never received it, so I have nothing to give out. Well, let me just let you in on a little secret, even those that are watching online. If you want to go the extra mile of walking in love, you're going to have to make a decision to yield to the love that's already on the inside of you. Well, hold hold on. I don't feel that love on the inside of me. Well, let me just share with you two scriptures and let's just see if there is some of that love inside of you. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but what? He loved us first. He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Oh, Rob, I don't have that kind of love. It's already there because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen? And further down in that passage, it says this in verse 19, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. 
And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So right here, we're told what we have to do. And tonight, what I would like to do is, is just simply give you some practical ways that we can go the extra mile and love on people. Amen? You know, many people say that they love you, but how many of you know that people will fail us? But God doesn't. Because God took it to the next level by showing you how much He loves you and I. And some, I've heard people say, my love tank is empty. That is a false statement from the pits of hell. Your love tank is never empty because of what Jesus Christ and the, and the torture and, and what He went through on the cross. So please, my name is Rob and I'm your friend. Please refrain from saying my love tank is empty because it is never empty. You may say it to a spouse, you may say it to a sibling, you may say it to an aunt or an uncle, but to God, your love tank is never empty. Whoever loves God must love his brother. So how do we do this? How do we go the extra mile of love? Well, let me give you uh, three quick things and we're going to go. How to develop a love that goes the extra mile? We love with thoughts. We love with thoughts. Every word we speak and every action we take is always preceded. What comes first is a thought. Our thoughts not only affect others, but they also affect us in the most amazing way. Because look what it says in Proverbs. It says this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, if we think unkind, we become unkind. If we think loving thoughts, we become loving. Therefore, we've got to choose our thoughts. Let me give you a true story about our thoughts and see if this doesn't ring home. A mom and her teenage daughter went shopping one day. On this particular trip, the daughter's hair was messy and her face was broken out. She had just started wearing makeup and was still learning how to apply it. A lot of you ladies have been there, right? She had too much on and it didn't look good. The mom said that each time she looked at her daughter, she thought, oh, you really don't look good today. After some time, the mom noticed that her daughter was looking depressed. So she asked her what was wrong. The daughter replied, mom, I really feel ugly today. When she spoke those words, the mom said, I could do nothing but ask God, for repentance for myself and what I was saying. You see, what your thoughts have done to her is what the Lord asked her. She repented to not only God, but she repented to her daughter and saw an immediate turnaround in the daughter. Thinking good thoughts is very important because it opens the door for God to begin to work in our lives. Amen? And there's no way we can walk around all day thinking critical and negative thoughts about people and then expect to be loving and kind when we're in their presence. Would you all agree? We have to get in agreement. We have to learn to look for good in everyone, not their faults. The choice to think on good things, I know it can be a struggle for people. 
But let me give you a couple helpful hints on how to think on good things. Number one, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive. That's the, that's the clue right there to the obedience of Christ. So how do we cast down thoughts? We've got to take every thought captive. That word captive literally means to conquer. And I want to let you know that you have the capacity and the ability to conquer your thoughts. As soon as a negative, critical thought enters your mind, you have to take it captive and say, uh, no thought, no thought. I'm telling you right now that I'm thinking on good things. Because if you think on those critical things, guess what? It adds strength to it. And the next thing you know, it's building up in you, and that's all that spews out. I'm getting on a little tangent there. I'm sorry. So what's our next step? Well, what do we have to do once we, 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 we think on good things? We got to replace it. We got to do something. Finally, brethren, in Philippians 4, 8, whether, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Not only do we have to take every thought captive, we've got to dwell. Amen. Dwell on these thoughts. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and ask him if they're dwelling. Turn back to him and say, I'm dwelling. You see, when a new thought comes in, the old has to go. The old has to flee. So when you and I replace that bad thought with something positive, guess what happens to our attitude? Guess what happens to our marriage? Guess what happens to our co-workers in, in the environment where we work? So the first thing we got to do, we got to love with thoughts. The next thing is to love with words. Uh-oh. Now it's going to get a little dicey. A very famous scripture that a lot of us know and quote, it says this in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you know it's not easy to live it out? Doug, if you could put up the two columns. Let me ask you, which column lifts you up? Which one tears you down? It's important for you and I to sow good seeds in people. And when we have, we don't take that thought captive and, and, and we begin being critical. It lends to project rejection and failure. Believing the best in people and speaking life over them builds them up. Amen. One of the very first scriptures that I ever learned to quote. Oh my God, I thought this was the biggest accomplishment in my entire life because I had memorized a scripture. Proverbs 16, 24 in the New American. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and what? Healing to the bone. If we intend to make loving people 
in going the extra mile, then we've got to develop the habit of loving them with our words. Amen? It's very easy to find something wrong with people. How about something good? Oh, I'm preaching good now. A Sunday school teacher was teaching a class for adult men and adult women when he did the unthinkable. He gave the class homework. The assignment was to go to someone you love within the next week and tell them you love them. It had to be someone you have never said these words to before, at least haven't said it in a very long time. Now that doesn't sound like a very tough assignment until you stop to realize that most of the men in this group were over 40 and were raised in the generation of when men were taught that expressing emotions is not macho. Showing feelings of crying, heaven forbid, was just not done. So this was a very threatening assignment for some in this class. At the beginning of the next class, the teacher asked if someone wanted to share what had happened when they told someone that they loved them. He fully expected one of the women to volunteer, as was usually the case. But on this evening, one of the men raised his hand. He appeared quite moved and a bit shaken. As he stood up, all six foot two of him, he began saying, Dennis, I was quite angry with you last week when you gave us this assignment. I didn't feel that I had anyone to say these words to. I've already told everyone who needs to know I love them. And besides, who were you to tell me to do something that personal? But as I began driving home, God began speaking. He was telling me of someone that I needed to say, I love you. He goes on to say, you see, five years ago, my father and I had a vicious disagreement and never resolved it. We avoided seeing each other unless we were absolutely had to at a Christmas party or family gatherings. But even then, we hardly spoke to one another. So last Tuesday, by the time I got home, I convinced myself I was going to tell my father I loved him. It's weird, but just making that decision seemed to lift a heavy load off my chest. When I got home, I rushed into the house to tell my wife what I was going to do. She was already in bed, but I woke her up anyway. When I told her, she didn't just get out of bed, she catapulted out and hugged me. And for the first time in our married life, she saw me cry. We stayed up half the night drinking coffee and talking. It was great. Oh, the next morning, I was up early. I was so excited I could hardly sleep. I got to the office early and accomplished more in two hours than I had the whole day before. At 9 a.m., I called my dad to see if I could come over after work. When he answered the phone, I just said, Dad, can I come over after work tonight? I have something to tell you. My dad responded with a grumpy, Now what? I assured him it wouldn't take long, so he finally agreed. At 5.30 that afternoon, I was at my parents' house ringing the doorbell, praying that Dad would answer the door. I was afraid if Mom answer, answered, I would chicken out and tell her instead. But guess who answered the door? My dad. 
I didn't waste any time. I took one step in the door and said, Dad, I just came over to tell you that I love you. It was as if a transformation came over my dad. Before my eyes, I saw a face that had softened. The wrinkles seemed to disappear, and he began to cry. He reached out and hugged me and said, I love you too, son, but I've never been able to say it. It was such a precious moment, I didn't want to move. Mom walked by with tears in her eyes. I just waved and blew her a kiss. Dad and I hugged for a moment longer, and then I left. I hadn't felt that great in a very long time. Two days after my visit, my dad, who had heart problems, had a heart attack and ended up in the hospital unconscious. I didn't know if he would see tomorrow, but I had a peace just knowing that my dad knew I really loved him. He did not see tomorrow. Pretty powerful story, isn't it? What if he would have chickened out? What if he didn't take the challenge that his Sunday school teacher put before him? Every word we speak can be a brick to build with or a bulldozer to destroy. Amen? <clears throat> In my hand, what, what would you call this? It's, it's a card. How many of you love Hallmark? Not just the, the romance movies. The cards. And in my hand is a beautiful Christmas card. We know what cards are like. Right? Give me some holidays that you go get a card for. Just, just talk to me here. Birthday, what else? Folks, take your time. 700 of you are talking at one time. I can't understand you. Get well. What else? Hanukkah. How about Valentine's? Whoa, that's a good one. Mother's Day. Father's Day. Oh, my gosh. We keep Hallmark in business. But yet we use their words to communicate. It's a beautiful card. There's beautiful graphic-y something on here. Oh, oh, and the words? The only handwritten thing is a signature. Can I um, just interject something here? This is a freebie. Okay, This is not in my notes. But I think it would bode us well rather than somebody else's words. If we handwrite notes, or even tell people. Do y'all remember when we used to talk to people as opposed to texting and email? Are, are you, you hearing me? Listen, Hallmark, they're an excellent company. They do great work. 
beautiful cards, but unfortunately, they're not our words. Amen? And so I just want to let you know and maybe encourage you and challenge you rather than buy a card. How about you actually write a card? It doesn't have to be fancy. As long as it's legible. And maybe you can go one step further. Is maybe instead of sending a birthday card to somebody, just calling them and letting them know. Remember the power of words. We love with words. Amen. And finally, number three, we love with possessions. In 1 John 3.18 in the Living Bible, it says this, Little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. I believe one of the best ways to go the extra mile with people and walking in love is by sharing our personal possessions. And, and let me just clarify what I'm talking about. This is one surefire fire way to go from talk about it to actually doing it. We know that there are a lot of hurting people out there, and a, just a simple act of kindness can go a very long way. How about giving away a necktie that you haven't worn in a very long time? Or maybe a pair of earrings. Maybe your favorite ballpoint pen. Or maybe, just maybe a cup of gumbo. Can make a person feel simply this, valued. So let me just give you a, a, a practical thing to do. Create a blessing box. Make it really big. Go up in your attic. We got stuff in our attic, don't we? That we haven't used in probably 20 years that still has value to it. Your closet, your cabinets, drawers, things that maybe, you know, maybe you were gifted with something that you haven't used. You thought it was great, but you just simply put it away. But maybe take these items and put it in that blessing box, and then you never know what that will do to somebody or to someone, amen, by blessing them. Don't keep something just in case you need it. How, how many of y'all do that? Oh, you pointing to your, to your spouses now. Y'all need to go back to uh, point number one and start this all over again. Oh, we need this just in, how many of you have like 37 drills in your, in your closet? Because the last one you did isn't good enough. But I don't want to get rid of it just in case. You just never know. Drill bits. Oh my gosh. I'm, you, you can't go in my closet. I got too many drill bits. I keep them just in case. Why are y'all laughing at me? Like Abraham, we are called by God to be blessed and to be a blessing. Amen. He says this in Genesis 12, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. I want to tell you a true story about a gentleman by the name of Ted Stallard. By the way, have you noticed that I like to tell stories? You know why? Because we, we love stories. We love to engage 
and they bring a personal touch to a sermon or, or to our lives. Amen. True story, Ted Stallard, a young man who was turned off by school, very sloppy in appearance, unattractive, slow. Oftentimes he would sit in class and stare off into space, unresponsive, which was an irritation to his fifth grade teacher, Miss Thompson. She enjoyed bearing down her red pen as she placed big red X's beside his many wrong answers. If only she had studied Ted's school records more carefully, for they read, first grade, Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but has a poor home life. Second grade, Ted could do better. Mother seriously ill receives little help from home. Third grade, Ted is a good boy, but a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, Ted is very slow. His father no, shows no interest whatsoever. Christmas arrived. All the children in Miss Thompson's fifth grade class piled elaborately wrapped gifts on her desk. Ted brought one too. It was a wrap, it was wrapped in brown paper and held together with scotch tape. Miss Thompson opened each gift as the children crowded around to watch. Out of Ted's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to snicker. But she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume on her wrist and letting them all smell it. She put the bracelet on too. At day's end, after the other children had left, Ted came by her desk and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And the bracelet looks real pretty on you. I'm glad you like my presence. After he left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her and to change her attitude. The next day, the children were greeted by a reformed teacher, one committed to loving each of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. From that day forward, she began depositing words into Ted like love, proud, and special. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Ted began to show great improvement. He actually caught up with most of his students and even passed a few. Junior high came and went. Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a very long time. And then one day, she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my high school class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note appeared. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I was graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know college has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. And four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, 
As of today, I am Theodore Stallard, M.D. I wanted you to be the first to know that I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Ted. Miss Thompson attended the wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion and loving words she gave that young man entitled her to that privilege. And while she was proudly sitting there with tears in her eyes, she couldn't help but recall how this all started, all because of a brown bag. In it, a bracelet and perfume. And this little boy gave it because it was all his heart knew to do. Wow, what a story. Amen. Dear Miss Thompson, because of that lady's love, there was an outpouring and he just simply gave whatever he could find around the house. You know, uh, besides physical gifts, there's another very important gift, probably one of the best gifts that we can give, and that's time. For no one has become poor for giving of their time. If you want to add value to people, a spouse, time. If you want to add value to your children, time. A parent, time. Oh, I love my granddaughters. They keep Michelle and I on our toes. We have three and two grand dogs. Oh my gosh, are they ever a piece of work? No, I'm talking about the dogs. But no, we have three granddaughters, 12, 10, and five. And you know what my most precious time with them is? When we go babysit, we will all pile up in one of their beds. They have the lights off, but in their, in their room, they have these sparkly lights. I don't know what you call them. They're not Christmas lights because they stay on 24-7. But they, they want to bring the house lights down, so to speak, and we get there. And you know what they start asking me? Pop, when did you meet Mimi? Pop, where did you go on the first date? Pop, tell me about when you were a little boy. See, it's called time. And a lot of times we fail to realize that the time that we're investing them is actually generational. You see, I want them to know where our first date was. It was me and Nita's here in Lafayette. I don't know if you know where that used to be. Do you know where... Um, Across the Monkus Park, uh, Mel's Diner, and then there's that H&R block right there, and I don't know what it, but there was a, a restaurant called Mianita's. It, it was a, a, a Mexican kind of seafood place, and that was our very first date. I want them to know about that. I want them to know where it is. I want them to know what I ate. I can't remember what I ate, but I want them to know what I ate. You know what I'm saying? It's called time spent with them. 
I love, absolutely love doing that with them. Because boy, do we have some stories to tell. But you see, when, when we're gone, I, I want their children to know about their great-grandparents, and that's Michelle and I. I want them to know our history. Amen? Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Life's most urgent question is this, What are you doing for others? And I would like to add this, What are you giving others? A little boy's song, You Are My Sunshine, gave life to a little girl. You see, a, a three-year-old little boy went the extra mile. I believe this, that there's a song in all of us. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of us are facing holidays here in about two weeks. Opening gifts, visiting relatives. But some are going to be facing difficult situations. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. Maybe you've, you, you, you haven't spoken to your mother in, in six months or you, you haven't, um, uh, been around somebody in a very long time because maybe a situation came on the scene. Maybe you've received rejection from somebody close to you. Maybe a friend. Maybe there's been miscommunication or, or something. Wouldn't it be awesome to have our song of Jesus Christ played with these people that we're having difficulty with? Maybe a song that starts with, like we just talked about, our three points, good thoughts, positive words, and gifts of joy. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, my little sister, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. The challenge is before us to just simply go the extra mile and walk in love. I've been convicted big time. By the way, I'm preaching to myself. You just get to hear it. How many of you feel a little bit of a challenge of walking in love tonight? If you would, just simply stand with me as we conclude tonight. Oh, a little boy has taught us something big time. He wanted to see his little sister and express how much he loved her. This little three-year-old boy, Michael, went the extra mile. And I know sometimes it can be difficult for us to go the extra mile, especially when it comes to loving someone. But if there is someone maybe that God has placed on your heart tonight to go the extra mile as far as love goes, it starts with understanding that we have love in us because of what Christ has done for us. 
And then we move to the thoughts, the words, and the gifts. Amen. Are you all okay with this tonight? Hallelujah. Well, let me pray over you before we go. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the word of God that has come forth tonight. Lord, I pray that as we go the extra mile, as we learn how to go the extra mile, as we learn how to develop the extra mile of walking in love, that, Lord, we don't miss opportunities like that man in the Sunday school class. Lord, literally two days after he told his dad that he loved him, his dad passed away because he didn't see tomorrow. Lord, I pray that we don't miss opportunities to place a phone call, maybe to write a letter or go and visit. Lord, that you will somehow burn in us a desire. May your Holy Spirit speak to us tonight. May we go home and just process what we've learned tonight. But Lord, may we act upon it. May we not just put this sermon on sort of our coffee table to collect dust, but may it penetrate our hearts, but also may it give us hope. We love because you loved us first, Lord. And so I pray your blessing over this crowd tonight. I pray your blessing on those that are watching online. That, Lord, as we go, even getting near to Christmas or even next year, Lord, that walking in love becomes a part of our DNA. It becomes part of our family. It becomes part of restoration. It becomes part of reconciliation. And so, Lord, I pray that your word will not fall on rocky ground, but your word will fall on good ground. It will take root and seeds will grow into plants, vibrant plants, because of a decision that we've made tonight to walk in love. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go tonight, that, Lord, you will help us process this. You will just put in us, Lord, the ability and the capacity to take our love to the next level. For it's in your precious and wonderful name that we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen and amen. Well, guys, listen, I want to encourage you just to walk this out and we'll see you Sunday. Thank you all very much.